From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Toby Barlow, author of Sharp Teeth, uh, a novel about a, a love story between a, a dog catcher in Los Angeles and a female werewolf. Um, it's, it's written in, in free verse, and it kind of is supposed to read like a graphic novel without the pictures or a, a ripping yarn with the extra words ripped out. The excerpt I'm about to read is uh, strung together from a, diff- a couple different parts, uh, and it's the story of Lark, the, the leader of the werewolf pack, who lives up in the Hollywood Hills with all his dogs, and he is suspicious about another pack down in San Pedro. So he sends Baron, one of his dogs, down to infiltrate the pack, and this selection begins with him going to meet Baron to talk about what their plans are. There's blood everywhere. But it's the creatures at the edge, licking the corner of the ruby pool, that hold your curiosity. So get this straight. It's not the full moon. That's as ancient and ignorant as any myth. The blood just quickens with a thought. A discipline develops so that one can self-ignite, reshaping form, becoming something rather more canine, still conscious, a little hungrier. It's a raw muscular power, a rich sexual energy, and the food tastes a whole lot better. Imagine sleeping with the pack, the safety, the loyalty, the protection. Imagine the elemental comfort. Bone, love, meat, gristle, heat, anger, exhaustion, drive, hunger, blood, fat, marrow. Fifteen men lying in one house. Listen to the night as they softly growl. Someone chases something in his dreams, desperate for satisfaction, then silent. There's one woman here. There's one leader here. The pack does what he says. She comes and goes as she pleases. Lark was challenged that night. There was no moon. The pack had seen and felt it coming and building. Lark was a man when it started, wolf when it ended. Khan tried to cut him with a knife coming in through the front door, but with perfect liquid grace, Lark slipped past the weapon's edge, grabbed Khan's hand and bent it back. The blade flew through the rusha. Teeth gleamed bare and sharp muscles tore through jackets. Ted Baker's shirts were shredded. Blood striped the walls, sweat soaked through. A Taghauer watch flew off what was once a wrist. Khan was a man when it started. He wasn't much by the time it was done. Some of us have problems. They still talk about bone and what the grease does to him. He can't go into fried chicken places. The smell, the scent, turns his blood right away. They say he took out a Popeye's once. It made the news unsolved. It took him an hour. He walked in just to pick up a bucket. The smell hit, the change happened, and the whole place had to go chicken customers, biscuits and gravy. Lark says control is everything. There's no percentage in hating your nature. It's just in the blood. That was about three years ago. There was some buzz. Press says gangs. People wail on television. Then, not surprisingly, life just keeps moving on. Between money, work, and the day-to-day, Lark never loses track of the long range. The pack never questions his intentions. If they did, they sense there would be no answers. So they follow his lead, and they stay quiet. They drive their 7 Series the speed limit, and Bone gets his chicken from the drive through Lark has a woman. He says every pack must have one. The pack has needs. But Lark says it's not about that. He says control is the path. As she lies there among them, her curves, lines of delicate torture, the tension can snap so tight that each one of the pack feels like a piano wire pulled taut. Lark says the desire pulls the pack together, calls it the Yukon path. The pack follows it because here, inside the circle, they taste the fresh, wet meat of success, while outside the circle lies nothing but coyote darkness. Blood, fat, marrow, grease, sinew, muscle, guts, hide, fur, sleep. 
They may twitch in their dreams when they sleep, but they sleep deep. Lark's been exploring the San Pedro pack for a month now. He has his dog in there now. Baron slowly earned the trust. Packs are tough to crack. Once you share your blood, they think you're theirs. Baron's been playing it straight, in deep. Baron's been getting phenomenal tattoos. He's been tossing in the lots with the other dogs. He's been studying their family, their moves, their lines of business. It's gray market on a good day, black on the rest. Lark drives through an in and out. He gets 18 burgers and throws them in the back. Then he drives down to the piers, pulls into an open lot, and waits for Baron. Baron says he's got news. Lark gets there early. He likes having the time to think. Things seem too loose these days, even with Khan gone and the pack tightened. It's not the girl. That's hard to control, but it's not that. Something is making moves. Plates are shifting. Pay attention. Lycanthropes first came out of the native tribes in the northwest, born, legends say, from a native thirst for a superior warrior. But when the weather turned, their packs were wiped out, knifed and skinned in fear, as Native American witch hunts took on their destruction as a sacred healing mission. On a hundred nights, surrounded and fighting mad, pack after pack were driven into drought-dry woods, where they were all burned down to smoldering stumps. The howling shook leaves in distant trees and rolled through the valleys like the screams of lost birds echoing the thunder. Small packs survived, waited, roamed the endless wilderness, met the trappers, and shared raccoon fat and maple sap, sucked the marrow of crow and buffalo bones. This is when boundless nature seethed in the untamed wilds. Bushels of game birds, barrels of fur could be found in any glen. They taught the lone trappers, guided the coonskin scouts, riding on through the expansion, keeping things low, building new codes to match the manners of the wider world, which is to say, live on the invisible side, and if you kill, kill the unmournable, deserters, wanderers, rustlers, rum runners, drug dealers, men who will never be missed. Life goes on. The light asks little from those who send the darkness away. Wolves don't have to take blood, but when the change happens, well, control can be tricky, and there is that certain hunger. Now, better technology, wider surveillance, and safer streets make every change more complicated. The blood sugar fever still survives, but invisible becomes more difficult. It's either retreat or adapt. They stepped deeper into the shadows. Nobody saw them. Rumors became legends. Ghost stories became TV shows. While outside, in the dark, the packs wandered on. They still travel together. Without a pack, they're called coyotes, by those who know. And though it's true that real coyotes fill the hills with the endless barking of their own restless packs, it's also true that it's not easy to survive as a coyote when you're all alone. Lark checks his watch. Baron's late. Should have been here already. Each second now undoes itself, unraveling like a fraying thread. Lark clenches his jaw, reaches in the back, grabs a burger. The crinkling of the paper wrapper scratches at the silence. His eyes dart through the night shadows as he chews. Lumber and spooled wire, an old broken boat up on the blocks, and there in the corner, one shadow moves. The hair on his neck is up now. He gently puts the burger down. He fires up the ignition, hits the gas, hits reverse. The car sweeps back. His headlights arc into the space, catching four big hounds. Circled and frozen mid-stalk, a plane attack. Even if he changed, they could take him. Easy. There are four of them. But he's not changing. He's driving. And cars tend to win. 
Drive now. Fast. Thud. Bump. Reverse. He swerves in the dark and catches one on the fender side. Another jumps on the hood, but gassing it pushes the car forward, and that one slips off, landing on its side. Back. Fast. Brake. Forward again now. Catching that one solidly against the bumper, smashing it against a piling. With the wet crack and a cry, out goes one headlight. He spins the car back to see the other two dogs peeling off into the dust and dark. They're smart enough to run. While the engine idles, he eats the rest of his burger and thinks. Trapped in the car, he would have been done in seconds. Strategically perfect. Where is Baron? And whose pack was that? What else do they know? Probabilities begin to dawn on him. He hits the gas, hopes no cop stops him for his headlight, and prays for speed. Lark pulls into the driveway. Headlights play the preview of a bad movie. He's jumping out and moving fast. It's a little past 2 a.m. and nothing smells good. The lights are all on. The front door is open. Far off, he can hear sirens. He's inside, facing too many pieces of news for him to process in the time he's got. Three steps into the house, and he's already seen two dead dogs in the living room. The house is empty. Sirens are getting louder. There's blood everywhere. Like a Jackson Pollock valentine, he thinks, quickly bolting the front door. Moving through the rooms with the fluidity of water, he turns out every light. Bedroom, kitchen, living room. Then he rolls the dead dogs in a rug and slides them behind the couch. Pauses. The sirens. He heads downstairs to the small workroom tucked into the back of the basement. There are three security cameras on the property and a monitor here. He turns it on and fires up the laptop. The screen reveals the patrol car pulling into the drive. He clicks at the laptop, logging onto his accounts. On the monitor, the patrolmen are getting out. One stays by the car. Nobody has touched the accounts. Whoever they are, Lark thinks to himself, they aren't that smart. The patrolman is at the door now. He hears the bell, ignores it. Lark transfers the balance to an old, unused account. The doorbell rings again. Was there any blood on his car? The patrolman moves around the house. Lark switches to camera two, watches the cop flash his light across the shrubs. The phone rings. Lark picks up quickly. Hello? Uh, Mr. Lark Tennant? Yeah? This is Atlas Security. We have reports of a disturbance at your house. Is everything okay? As far as I know, yes. We sent a patrolman up to the house. Oh, well, actually, I'm not there. I have my phone forwarded. I'm out in the desert. Do you have guests staying there? The patrolman reported. Oh, actually, I can probably tell you what happened. Yeah. My sister came uh, by to get the dog. She's dog-sitting. Sometimes they get upset. Well, that makes some sense. One of the reports mentioned dogs barking. One of the reports? Oh, everyone in the neighborhood called. Boy, well, thanks for looking into it. That's our job. Lark hangs up, leans back, and exhales into the dark room, watching the cameras as the cameras watch the patrolmen murmuring into their radios as their car pulls slowly away. Lark waits and waits, thinking, figuring... Lark IDs the dead dog he knows, Zack, a rough wild one. Lark remembers that the kid wasn't much of a fighter. The other's unknown. He has to mop Barry plan, but first a pause, a reconstruction. As the light comes over the mountains, Lark's reading the blood on the wall, his senses unfolding the tale of what must have gone down. He traces streaks of red with his finger, thinking, intuiting, guessing how it must have been. It was early in the night, perhaps twenty minutes after he left. They came up. His pack had just ate here. She wasn't in the house. Where was she? Bone was here. She should have been here, too. The other side arrived, bringing fifteen. Yes, he smells barren. The surprise must have been complete, and perhaps his pack wasn't as ready as it should have been. 
He didn't build them to fight like this. The way he had it organized, the Yukon path focused on laying low, on avoiding wars. It was easier to infiltrate the enemy, isolate them, and then take them out one by one. He hadn't foreseen the assault. Lark wonders how much else he missed. Three games. Did he blow them all? His head spins. His stomach feels hollow. It's the feeling that hits a world-class chess player when he finds out he's not in the game at all. He touches a small pool of blood. There was probably a courier, a delivery, anything to get the door open. Zack answers, the moment of defeat lying right there. The first rush brings eight or so in, taking out Zack first. He barks the warning as he goes down, and the others pour into the room to help, teeth ready for skin, fur up, and set to fight. One of the invaders lunges forward, spitting for blood, but two of the pack take him down, one cutting his throat so fast the assault is thrown off for a stroke of time, the surprise pushing them back on their haunches, as blood from the torn artery arcs across the room. But then the attackers surge forward again, through the raining blood, which glistens on their coats and flicks in their eyes, only raising their adrenaline. Their numbers are too good, and Lark's dogs are too unsettled. In the breath of moments, it's over. Three lie with their throats caught between three jaws, all ready to cut. There is a pause. A man enters. Words are spoken. A long pause. A jaw tightens. A submissive nod from one of Lark's wolves. And then the conquered head off, tails between legs, delivered into a new world. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.